Hi guys, I'm Megan, and this is The Really Podcast. I'm here with my friend. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm a self-proclaimed film fanatic. And I'll back that up, because we've been watching movies. <laughs> Last night, actually, before we start to get into the film we just watched, um, last night we actually went and saw It Chapter 2. Um, so, what did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was uh, a pretty fair sequel uh, to the first part. I think it really matched the kind of energy that it had. Uh, it was a, I used the word appropriate. Um, it just fit very well together. You can tell they were done. You can tell the second one mirrored the first one mm-hmm. with just the difference of the 27 years. Yeah, especially like, because we were talking about this earlier with casting immaculate casting um obviously bill Hader stood out to both of yeah, us yeah he definitely kind of stole the show oh in yeah. my opinion yeah so you you were talking about um the different i guess character arcs uh between the kids and the adults about how they kind of changed i kind of forgot where we were at you know, well, kind of how they were all suppressing something, yeah, and how they all came from these you know horrible backgrounds of neglect and abuse, and they just kind of suppressed it, and they thought they left and they left it behind them, and then all of a sudden here they are twenty seven years later, and it's not just the clown, it's their their past their childhood that they're having to you know deal with all over again, mm-hmm. figure out how to stop it you know from getting worse. Yeah, and um, one of the things, because, like, literally we were just talking about this, is the kind of idea that the first one was more of a coming-of-age film. Because I remember seeing it in theaters. It it wasn't, like, too scary. Right. It, it actually had a decent story with it, and I feel like that's what made the movie more fulfilling, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, but... That the second one was more of the horror, scary film. Yeah, it was like the first part was the coming of age, and then how I read it was the second part was now that they know who they are and they know what they're doing, they have a plan and they know how to execute that plan. Whether they want to admit that they have to do it or not is kind of a moot point, but Mm -hmm. they know what they have to do and they've become the kind of people that can do it. They've become comfortable with themselves enough to stop the problem. Yeah. And, I, like, I'm, I'm still thinking about Bill Hader. I, <laughs> first of all, I just love him in general. Like yeah, his yeah, com- yeah. Like, on SNL, he played Stefan, which was hilarious. I loved that character. And, um, gosh, he's been in a lot of other stuff. Like... He was in that movie with Amy Schumer where she was a journalist. That was a cute movie, and I liked him in that. Uh, Oh, that was Trainwreck. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so it's different seeing him in comedy versus horror. And we were kind of talking about this after we saw the movie last night, how he was able to bring his comedy background Mm -hmm. into this horror world where he's still 
showing fear and he's still showing that he's afraid, but he's also still that lighthearted, let's crack a joke kind of guy behind it. Yes, very much like antagonizing yeah butthole for yeah he's but in a pure way yeah yeah he's gonna make a joke out of whatever he can because that's, exactly. that's what he does he's funny yeah he he probably uses that like as um what's the word defense mechanism there you go thank you <laughs> a defense mechanism <laughs> but um and the guy who played Eddie, you had some thoughts on yeah, Eddie. Yeah, I think he he matched Eddie not just in the way he acted, but like looks as well. I mean, I could easily see um, Jack Dylan Grazer, who played young Eddie, growing up to look like that. And there was even a scene where... It kind of like, he was standing there, and it triggered a flashback where young Eddie was walking up behind him, and you could still, like, see his face a little bit. Yes, yes. And their faces just lined up so perfectly that, you know, you couldn't have planned that casting better if you actually waited 27 years and had the same guy play him. Honestly, yeah. Because I even asked you, I was, I said... Did they cast at the same time, like, with the yeah. children? And, and I with don't the know if they did or not, but... Yeah. But I remember, like, oh, the guy who... The kid who plays Richie. Yeah. Uh, you said something about him saying, I hope they cast someone cool. Yeah, I think I read that he he had, he had didn't know who was going to play the older version of himself, but I remember when everything dropped, and it was just like... At first, I was kind of skeptical. That Bill Hader would be able to do it. Yeah. Like, take on this the, the horror genre. But, man, any doubts I had, I apologize. <laughs> Honestly, I had absolutely no idea. Like, yeah, I'm obsessed with Bill Hader now. <laughs> I will say I had really high hopes for James McVoy. And they kind of fell flat. I was not really impressed with adult Bill. I just kind of lackluster in terms of performance yeah and honestly I don't think I feel like the story was more about everyone else I don't know if it's because everybody else was just better (laughs) well he kind of detached himself from it he was like yeah he said like this is my fault so I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take care of this Mm. and I don't want any of you guys like getting in my way because I don't want you to you know, suffer from my mistake. Kind of like the chosen one syndrome. Yeah. Like Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> well, like when Ron says, I don't care if you're the chosen one. Like, quit being a, like, just, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's, he's martyring himself. He's making himself the victim when he's the one who has, like, if he would just work with everybody else, the problem would get solved so much faster. Yeah. That's so true. God, that's that is one thing that irritated me about Harry Potter. That's totally off topic, but <laughs> like just that kind of like I'm the chosen one. Uh, like I have to do this by myself. Like no, teamwork's there for a reason. Yeah, like, and these people obviously want to help you. Exactly. That's why they're still here helping you after you've been a jerk to them. And you literally can't do it without them. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. 
And uh, so moving on, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was a boulder Pennywise. Yeah, so in the first It, I say the first It, the one in 2017, Mm -hmm. it kind of has a build-up where Pennywise is, you know, he's making his presence known, but it really takes some time before we can really, you know, see what this thing can do. But then, with the second one, like, straight, right from the get-go, right out of the gate, he's there, and he, he knows they're coming for him, and he's pulling all the stops, and he's just really outperforming himself. He's just <laughs> it up. <laughs> yeah, no, he's definitely, and well, he's a clown. You yeah. Know? He's, a, he's just a... <laughs> clown good lord (laughs) so also while we were watching it because we knew we were gonna watch uh the evil dead 2 uh today so we while watching it we noticed some similarities because we talked about before that there's a lot of references that are taken from the evil dead We'll just say franchise. Yeah. Um, so, with that, I think we should move on to talking about The Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. So, for, but first I'm going to ask you about just some questions. Yeah. Um, because you basically know everything <laughs> about The Evil Dead. Like, I'm impressed every single time you talk about it. So, um... Tell us about your first experience with the Evil Dead. So I remember being like 13-ish, because that's when the remake came out. Mm-hmm. And my dad was talking about how badly the first one scared him from 1981. And just like the bench, the porch swing, hitting the house, hitting the house, and then just stopping. And he said that it scared him so bad, and I was like, I never want anything to do with this. <laughs> um... But then, once I kind of got into high school, I was junior, senior in high school, um, I got into this old, you know, horror movie kick, and I was at Goodwill, where I get most of my movies, and... Yeah, you still watch VHS (laughs) Well, like a vinyl record snob, I have to say, some movies just look better on tape, and horror as a genre looks better on tape. But that's just my, you know, I'm going to stick my nose up and say that. Um, So I was there at Goodwill browsing the VHS tapes, and I saw Evil Dead 2 sitting there, and I thought, I don't need to get it. I haven't seen the first one. Mm -hmm. I, you know, turned the corner, started walking down the aisle. I saw the first Evil Dead, and I thought, this is so cool. They're both here, but... Just in case I don't like the first one, I'm not going to buy the second. Come on. So, (laughs) which is every thrifter's biggest mistake. It's because I went home, and I watched it, and I loved it, and I went back the next day. Not even, like, a few days later. The next day, 24 hours later, the second one was gone. And I I, I haven't found it since. I've, you know, just, like rented it or watched it online but man I kick myself every day because I could have had it all just right there 
imagine like what if someone was like out of spite got that movie the employees saw me buying the first one they were like i'm gonna i'm gonna take the second one that kid (laughs) ftk (laughs) oh my god Also, is there anything else? I'm sorry, but no. I, I mean, you. I mean, it was just one of those things. It was like my dad loves it, and then once I kind of grew out of that, I'm afraid of everything phase. I realized that I love it too because it's not just straight horror. It's mm-hmm. a really interesting take on horror comedy, which I think we're gonna come back to later. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so also, which I found incredibly impressive. You wrote a 15-page <laughs> paper about the Evil Dead, and it was it was it just the first one or like all just of the them? first one? Okay, just the first one. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did how did that start, and then what kind of you know? So I um, for a fine arts credit at school, I decided to take a film class, just an introductory film class, and I wanted to get some honors credit for it, so I talked to the professor about doing a separate project, um, but instead she told me, instead of writing a four-page paper at the end of the semester, to write 15. Oh, thanks. So I was like, dang, how am I going to find something to write 15 pages about? She said, meet with me next week, and you can tell me what movie you want to write about. I was like, okay. This is She's a film professor. She's probably pretty serious. We've been watching serious movies. Mm-hmm. Do not go in there and tell her you want to write about the evil dead. So the next week, I go in there, and she says, you know, what movie did you decide you want to write about? And I said, well, you know, actually, I've just been really thinking about the evil dead. So, I really wasn't expecting her to let me write about it. Mm -hmm. Because it is such a silly movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But she she let me do it. And she said that I needed to come up with a way to talk about all the different, you know, film aspects. um, And find a way to come up with a bigger picture about what what do all of these things mean? what, What are they trying to convey? And I ended up writing about how it's kind of an allegory for the idea of the social contract where people are designed to want to be in a society with functioning rules and a leader and we all have to rely on each other and there's our personal will and the general will and if you start to ignore the general will for your own personal will, things start to like fall apart. And it kind of started as a joke, because I was like, there is nothing philosophical about the evil dead. It's just some dude with a chainsaw. Groovy. <laughs> <laughs> but the more I wrote it, I was like, this is kind of true, actually. Because you see all of these characters, and they show up, and they're all together. And then you have a sort of rift in the group when they find the tapes, and the guys want to listen to the tapes, and the girls are saying, please do not play them, and then you have Ash's sister who tries to run away and leave the cabin, and she's the first to turn, she's the first to ignore the general will for her own personal gain. Cheryl is his sister? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay, well, I was in and out of the first one, like, but the second one definitely kept my attention, but continue. So, Cheryl runs out, 
and she ignores the general will for her own personal gain, and she's the first to become a demon, basically. And it all just kind of, like, snowballs from there. Um, but I talked a lot about the production of it, and, you know, the costume and the makeup and the setting, and even gender roles, which is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and, like... I mean, any movie, really, but especially, like, in horror. Yeah. And also, uh, another interesting... See, at first I found it difficult to imagine writing a 15-page paper. Like, just in general, a 15-page paper, but over one movie. Because sometimes I find it hard to think in depth on things. Yeah. I guess whenever, you know... You asked your teacher, and she kind of, like, full-fledged it out for you. But, um, gosh. I mean, it was actually kind of easy. Like, once I hit... Once I got past writing the plot synopsis and saying, okay, this person plays this character, and I kind of got into the nitty-gritty, like, this is Sam Raimi's history in filmmaking. I was like, this is pretty easy. And I kind of wrote it in, like, one night. No, uh (laughs) I, I mean... Once I got past the beginning, I wrote, like, 10 or 11 pages in one sitting. How long did that take you? Two or three hours. Oh I mean, it kind of it kind of just writes itself. You got, you got like, the deadites possessed you, and it, like, <laughs> came out. <laughs> well, and it was also one of those things, like, I had the whole semester to do it, so I was just thinking about it constantly. Okay. So once I was ready to sit down and write it, it's like all of these little snarky comments that I had planned, it was just... They dumped themselves and formed an essay. Wow. I'm impressed because I don't think I could write 15 pages of anything. I don't think I could write 15 pages about much else. But The Evil Dead, I mean, it's... It's a thing. Yeah. It's groovy. (laughs) I hate myself. (laughs) We'll we'll get into groovy later. But, so... Let's kind of get into the plot of the movie. So we have kind of an understanding before we dive deeper Mm -hmm. into it. Well, it starts off with Ash. Ash and Linda, his girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of, well, they're staying at this cabin. Clearly abandoned cabin. Yes. And it's kind of hard to start it without mentioning the recap. Yeah, it's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to this series of movies because you watch the first one mm-hmm. and it's about Ash having to, you know, kind of sacrifice his girlfriend because mm-hmm. she's been possessed. And then the second one starts and Ash is coming to the cabin with his girlfriend and she gets possessed and he has to kill her and you think, is this idiot doing this again? <laughs> is he willingly going back to this cabin? But it's not so much he's doing it again as they're bringing everybody up to speed so they know what's going on. It's a recap of the first movie without all of the major details. So they had to recap this, the first movie in the beginning of the second one uh, because I'm pretty sure with the there were copyright issues, which sounds kind of funny because it's Sam's, Sam Raimi's movie, um, but they didn't have the rights to it. Once it got big. Um, Who did have the rights? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. 
Um, was it like some like company above him that kind of took it? it? Kind of like music, because technically, if fun fact, music artists don't really own their own music. Right. It's their label that owns it. So, like, say a music artist, they are disowned or just break contract with their label, and they post music that they created with that label, like, say, on YouTube. They can still get copyrighted for it, even though it's their music, it's technically not theirs. Yeah. But yeah, so there was a copyright issue, whatever. Yeah, legality. Um, so they basically had to recreate yeah, a they, beginning. Yeah. But they had more I that gave them more room to kind of up the backstory mm-hmm. a little bit. Because you didn't really see a whole lot of backstory That's in true. the first movie. Like, you hear him say on the tapes, the book inked in, you know, human blood and bound in human flesh. But then in the start of the second one, you have all these visuals to go with it. And mm-hmm. they talk more about, you know, the blood sea and Yes, everything. like where it where originated. It, yeah. Like, the heart yeah. of the Facebook. It just... <laughs> It just creates this lore to go with the it series. It gives it a reason to exist. Right, and that really helps like with the cult status of it. Like oh, There's yeah. lore to go with it, so the fan base is able to like, really sh- get into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, next we kind of want to talk about... Um, I, I guess we kind of compared the two films. Yeah. Or, okay, so let's talk about whether or not it's a true sequel. Because we talked about the beginning and how it was mm-hmm. a recap. Well, even the rest of the movie is kind of similar. It is. You have it a really cabin is. Of, you have a cabin of, you know, five people or whatever, and there's the same kind of dynamic of mm-hmm. Ash, this macho man who wants to be in charge, the women who are afraid of everything that's happening. So you have the same character dynamic as the first movie but I think because it introduced more lore and it brought in outside characters like it wasn't Ash and his college buddies like going up to the cabin it was the daughter of the researcher who recorded the tapes phonetically phonetically so people can (laughs) say it out loud and bring demons to them they didn't even have to say it. They just had to play it. Honestly. Oh my god. So I think it is a true sequel. Because it mirrors the dynamic of the first one. And it kind of mirrors the plot. But it also brings in the... It's not just him killing everybody. It's this... We know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to implement this new plan. So I think... there There are enough differences in the grand scheme of things that I consider it to be a true sequel. Okay. Well, my opinion, no, my opinion, just, it's, it, it's a lot weaker, honestly, because I feel like I could have watched this movie without watching the first one. Right. 
and not even felt bad about it. Because now now that I think about it, I feel like it's a better version of the first one. Like, it has yeah. more character development. It has... Even though there's very little dialogue, there's still their actions that show yeah. different development. And uh, it's just a totally separate movie, but not at the same time. Yeah, I feel like... Because the first one also has very little dialogue. Mm-hmm. But there are parts of it... I think the the genre is really what sells it for me. Because the first one, you have more elements of horror. You have the porch swing hitting the house. You have the clock stopping. You have her hand being possessed and drawing and the blood filling up the light bulb. Whereas in this one, everything has more of a humorous air to it. Yeah. So they're, it's almost like they're poking fun at the first one. Like, we made this movie, but now we're going to cash out on a sequel because you guys loved it so much. And because you loved it so much, and we know you're going to get your money, we're going to make it really similar for you. Just to kind of guarantee that you'll love it. I see that. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm not complaining. I I think they're both great. I mean, because that was my big thing, is for a long time I didn't know which one I liked better because they were so similar. Mm-hmm. But I think because of what the first one has, the second one doesn't, in terms of, you know, horror, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of lean more towards the first one. Because I remember talking about, like, the first one. I was genuinely scared at points. Like, when Cheryl turned, I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it was, it was actually scary for me. It's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that scene with the the blood and the light bulb and the little like jazzy tune that's playing. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Because that's the evil being like, haha, you're afraid of jazz music. <laughs> but then the second one, it has the player piano kind of going on its own. Yeah. But that's more of a dramatic, somber yeah yeah and wasn't that after um someone had like died yeah yeah it was after after he he got linda (laughs) or after linda got got (laughs) right okay let's be real here this movie's been out for like five ever so we can talk about how linda got got yeah which is a kind of funny yeah we all we kind of likened it to Beetlejuice in the terms of like the clay effect that they used uh-huh. and even like the dancing yeah. that she did while okay this was she started like dancing he decapitated her with a shovel and then respectfully buried her yeah like any good boyfriend would do right <laughs> first you decapitate them then bury them and then you uh, you know put a little branch cross. Yeah. To, so you know where your dead demon girlfriend is buried. Oh, yeah. I mean, you gotta be respectful. <laughs> so then she, you know, comes back out of the ground headless, naked, and already pretty decomposed. Yeah, I mean, like, Despite the fact that it's only been maybe ten minutes. One of her boobs is gone. 
Uh, but then you have her decapitated head biting his hand. Yeah. And he takes her, he can't, as he's whacking her around, he can't get her to let go. So he takes her into the work shed, and he's looking for the chainsaw. Chainsaw. Ah! I just remembered the chainsaw! (laughs) Which is missing, but we know it's supposed to be there, because whoever owned it drew a chalk outline behind where it sits. I guess it had, like, died or something. Maybe. Because, you know, chalk outlines. (laughs) That was stupid. (laughs) But... Then the headless body of his dead girlfriend comes in wielding the chainsaw over her head and oh. then accidentally falls back and starts cutting herself in half. Yeah. Which and sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. <laughs> and she's just watching herself do it because her head's on the yeah, table. Yeah, her head's on the bench in the little clamp yeah. so it can't get loose. And she's like, ah, ah. There's so much screaming in this. Yeah, a large chunk of dialogue is just screaming. And facial expressions. Yeah. Like, the facial expressions kill me. Yeah, because the angle they they hit them at. (laughs) Getting them angles. (laughs) Them angels. (laughs) English. Oh my god. So, um, whether or not it's a true sequel... We have our differing opinions. Right. Um, so, let's kind of get... Did, so, we kind of get the gist of the movie, right? Right. So, it's the this couple, which consists of Bruce Campbell slash Ash and Linda? Linda, Linda. Yeah. I don't know the actress's name. It was a different Linda. It was a no. different <laughs> It was a different Linda than the first one. Yeah. Anyway, so no yeah. loyalty there, but uh what a <laughs> Come on, Ash. But uh, um so these two kids, they don't look like kids anymore. In the first one, they look like college kids. Yeah. In the second one, there's an obvious hormonal difference there. <laughs> of at least, what is it, six years between the movies? The pituitary yeah. gland exploded. It's not even that. It's the fact that he got rid of the bowl cut. Yeah. Once you get rid of the bowl cut, you're, you're an adult. Because, I mean, I had a bowl cut when I was little. <laughs> Check out my Twitter at makingpage97 and you can see my bowl cut. <laughs> it's cute, honestly. <laughs> I feel like recently I had a bowl cut. No, it was just the bangs. I just had the bangs. But these two kids in a cabin, they read some stupid crap out loud that brings demons. Linda, she's she's got. She's gone. She's out of here. Then the the daughter of the researcher who found the Facebook. I'm just going to call it the Facebook. It's like the Book of Death, isn't it? Uh, the Book of the Dead, yeah. Okay. And uh, she's trying to get back to her dad's cabin. Yeah, she thinks her parents are still there. Which is totally wrong. Totally wrong. Yeah, they, they done... They got got a long time ago. Yeah, they never... Um, mentioned what happened to the dad, I don't think. Yeah, when his face, when that 
that weird like specter vision was like save was that my him? soul yeah that was him oh he was saying you have to read out of the pages that i translated you have to read out phonetically of them. yeah <laughs> you have to read out of them so you can send this stuff back to where it came from but they didn't really make it very clear that that's who it was supposed to be. Yeah. They kind of gave him that, like, Spanguli makeup where it looked like they just painted a skull over his normal face. Yeah. Mm. Then, I feel like that kind of covers it. Yeah. Well, and they bring in the rednecks. Yeah, the rednecks. Because every good horror movie set in the middle of nowhere has rednecks. Oh, yeah. Like, They're a driving force in any kind of gory movie. Okay, I'm going to name some scary movies and you got to tell me if there's rednecks or not. Okay. okay. Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. The the they are the the killers are. They're the rednecks. <laughs> that was an easy one. <laughs> Children of the Corn. Uh it's a town in the middle of nowhere, but all the adults are gone, so they're kind of just like farm children. They all have like creepy farm tools like machetes and scythes and stuff. Don't know if they're if you could consider them rednecks, but they're definitely like pioneer type. Agricultural. Yeah. Rural. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. Bowers. Henry Bowers, he had a mullet his whole life. Does that make you a redneck? Well, and he lives in the middle of nowhere. Like kind of away from everybody. He wore a cut off sweatshirt. Like he took the sleeves off of his sweatshirts. I'm gonna start dressing like that. I want to be a redneck. I think you could make it work. I probably could. <laughs> I mean, I used to do lots of stuff with my hair. Like, I had a bowl cut, remember? Right, right. Like, didn't I just sit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to do a mullet. Okay. It's coming what? back. It is coming back, actually. God, that's terrible. Can y'all not? Let's not bring that back. <laughs> I kind of like them. Why? Because... Some people can pull them off. Some people. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> what other... Oh, Saw really didn't... Saw... I don't like Saw. I can't watch those. That's... Because that's not even horror. That's just... Shock. Shock value. Let's get it as gory as we can. Yeah. And I'm not about that. No. That's just too much. I'm trying to think of other scary movies. I'm I'm probably not the best person to probably be bringing up movies. Yeah. Because I don't I don't. Watch well, because the, the with horror movies, it's either there are rednecks driving the plot or suburbanites. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, true. it's like it's either the middle of nowhere or the most average place in the world, which really shows the duality of of people. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard line. You're either suburbanite or redneck. Yeah. There's no in-between. You can't be anywhere in-between. There aren't very many I can think of that take place in, like, big cities. Child's uh, Play does. Oh, there's another one. It, um, the Ring! Oh, I haven't seen that one. I've seen, like, parts of it. Yeah. Also, like, I feel like the more modern scary movies have gotten into Well, and I I think it's because, you know, landscape is an important part. You want to have um, a setting that is easy to navigate. And with suburbs, it's a small area. The streets are mapped out. There are cookie-cutter houses. So the characters know exactly where everything is. Mm -hmm. 
as well as you can reuse different houses as different setting places but that's production side of it but with the middle of nowhere you're in one place and you have nowhere else to go so you're just like you're stuck stuck there yeah and you're gonna die you're gonna die unless you have a chainsaw yeah and a sawed off shotgun yeah chainsaw is a hand yeah that's arguably one of the greatest cinema points in history (laughs) oh scream Scream. That would be more not rural, rural at all. Uh, really? I'm gonna argue that because they live, like, there's their small town. I mean, it's a medium town, you know, suburb type town. Mm-hmm. But the house where most of the killing happens is kind of isolated. Okay. So it's kind of like a drive out to his house where the party is being held. It's Stu's house. He's hold, hosting the party. His parents are out of town. So they, there are no immediate neighbors. So not necessarily rural, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like between. I know we said we can't have between, but <laughs> there's an exception no, for every rule. that movie doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> you can't have in-betweens. It might have been Wes Craven saying, I see the horror tropes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up you on that. Speaking of horror tropes, uh, you talked about, dang, that was a good segue. (laughs) (laughs) So the renaissance of horror. Yeah, that's what I kind of like to call the start of the 70s and everything into the further decades of horror. Because in you know like the 50s when you have horror movies the one i can think of most recently is the blob it just had an anniversary a couple of days ago there's a clear enemy mm-hmm. and it clearly gets defeated and there's the hero usually this macho man type and there's a damsel in distress that has to be saved and sometimes there's a sidekick or you know supporting characters but it's this very strong dynamic of strong man saves the day gets the girl (laughs) and then you have what I think really like this is my opinion it really kind of kicks off this renaissance is Halloween Mm -hmm. towards the end of the 70s uh, John Carpenter directed it and it basically there is no macho man there is no damsel in distress well she is a damsel in distress. Jamie Lee Curtis is the main character. She is in distress, but she's saving herself. And she's saving all of the people that she can save. But more than that, what really is the defining difference, there's a clear enemy, but he's not clearly defeated. I think she said she shot him like six times. He's just laying in... I'm sorry, it's a spoiler, but it came out 50 years ago. Not 50, but... It came out 40 years ago. You should know by now. He's laying out in the yard, and the police show up, and they're questioning her, and she looks out the window, and he's gone. So we don't know where he is, if he's really dead. And, you know, on the surface, it's like... Well, that's just Sequel City right there. Mm-hmm. You know, we can take that idea and run because we don't know where he is, so he can be anywhere. We can make any kind of movie out of it. 
but on like a deeper subsurface level it's saying like there is evil in the world and we don't know where it is where it's lurking or how to get rid of it spooky yeah and that's the I kind of I hate that that's the kind of horror that really sits with people because jump scares come and go mm-hmm. and once you've seen it a few times you can anticipate it mm-hmm. but when you're left with an open ending of where where'd he go what's up next there there's endless possibilities and that's what really scares people it does it, it makes me so mad like i remember oh god it was one of like freddy versus jason movies um I believe Jason pulled Freddy's head out of the water and Freddy's head like winks at the camera like breaking the fourth wall. Right. And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Well, first of all, there's, there's like a so many of those movies. Yeah. yeah. So there's And even with Halloween, they just released one like a year ago. Mhm. And they're working on another one. When are they going to stop? <laughs> When Jamie Lee Curtis decides she's had enough, but, you know, she can do anything. She's the Scream Queen. Yeah. Wasn't she in Scream Queens? Yeah, I think Okay, so. yeah, that makes sense. But Evil Dead kind of follows that idea of now we have the woman in charge. Because we even see that with other movies like Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy is, like, the main protagonist fighting the evil. Um, but with Evil Dead... Sam Raimi was like, not only are we going to snuff the macho man, we're going to support these other strong protagonists by introducing a male protagonist who has no idea what he's doing. Oh, God, yeah. He's just this skinny kid running around screaming at his own reflection. And he's supposed to be in charge of saving humanity. <laughs> I quit. But yeah, that that was he was an idiot in the yeah. film. But he like, kind of grows like he takes that he's an idiot and he kind of builds a confidence with it. Uh-huh. So he starts to think he knows what he's doing. But, you know, you get later into the show that was uh done with stars, Ash versus the Evil Dead, where his main like mantra that he teaches the people he's training to fight the deadites shoot first think never oh lord so he like embra- he embraces that he's not very smart but he still uses that as his advantage oh my god <laughs> that reminds me of like people yeah i guess that's what it's supposed to do right i mean it's this is going to sound really silly when I say it, but it really is one of the more accurate horror movies. Yeah. You have a group of five seemingly average people all together. Nobody's going to know how to fight a demon just no. off the top of their head. Unless something take... tells you phonetically what to do. <laughs> it's going to take some trial and error. <laughs> yeah, like some people might die. No big deal. You know, some people might, like... I don't know. They're gonna die. You might get a little bloody. You might lose a hand. Yes. But you can just take any household, not household, but garage tool, and 
make a new hand out or of it. household because like what if you're like a cook and you want to have like a whisk hand <laughs> didn't think about that I did really, you i really didn't i'm just thinking about the the, the sense not the sense but the uh usefulness the usefulness of having a chainsaw for a hand what happens if you slip and because he built that little rig so Uh where he has that like vest on that he can pull the cord to start the chainsaw okay so hold on before we get into that he cuts off his hand at one point because he gets possessed and his hand is possessed and he cuts it off and then he rigs it up yeah the greatest 45 seconds of film shows him in the work shed just fashioning this chainsaw into a prosthetic hand where he he pulls the cord on this little rig that he made, he saws off a shotgun, spins it on his hand. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, not practical at all. <laughs> sticks it into this little holder on, on his back, you know, between his shoulders, looks into the distance, and in the toughest, coolest way possible, he says, Groovy. Groovy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, having a chainsaw hand, in his case, is probably pretty useful, but what about every other day of the year that he's just a dude with a chainsaw hand, like, he slips and falls and catches the thing and catches the part that pulls the cord, and next thing you know, now he's missing a foot, too. Like, that could that could happen. Replace it with a chainsaw! <laughs> chainsaw foot. I mean, I'm sure... Don't walk on the hardwood floor. So, I mean, that obviously, like, doesn't happen in the movie, and once you get into the show later, he has alternate prosthetic hands, but... Oh, okay. Like, it's like a wooden hand, it's really ugly, and he can't use the fingers, so it's just... So he doesn't just have a a nub. (laughs) I think he should have stuck to the chainsaw hand. I think so, too. Or, like, a whisk. Yeah, I mean... A fork. Take some work out of You could stab somebody with a fork. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, a knife. A machete. Yeah, something something that won't accidentally turn on. Okay. If your hand got cut off, what would you replace it with? And it can't be a hand. It can't okay. be like a fake hand. Okay. If Which hand would get cut off? Because I'm right-handed. Okay, your right hand. My right hand got cut off. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the first thing I think of is, like, a pen or a pencil. Because how am I going to write anything without my dominant hand? But that's also kind of lame. I mean, you do write. Yeah. But with a computer, <laughs> like, normal people... <laughs> Well, I mean, you can use it as, like, a, a pencil or a pen would function as, like, a, a non-bendable finger. Oh, my God. I just, hate when people type like that. Like, chicken pecking. God. Yeah, I don't like that either. I'll fight you if you type like that. Mom, I know you type like that. I'll fight you. <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm just kidding, Mom. I love you. <laughs> She doesn't listen. I'm <laughs> kidding. She does. Um. So, let's 
kind of, we talked about the Renaissance. Let's kind of get into the references and how this movie franchise has really inspired horror. Yeah, I've used the phrase culturally relevant a lot when Mm -hmm. I talk about this movie because, and I like I said this earlier too, it's like Shakespeare. Yeah. It's everywhere and we don't even know. Because it set up so many tropes. You know, it set up the idiot hero trope. Mm -hmm. It set up the... Damsel? Yeah, I mean... Kinda, kind of, really. I mean, weak female. I'm trying to think where else we've seen that like camera movement before, because Blair the, Witch Project. Yeah, so this kind of like point of view mm-hmm. shot, which might not like directly be referencing the Evil Dead. Yeah, but I mean, that's like a really cool feature that this film has. Yeah, and it's made an impact on like, because it was new, I guess. Basically, to me, anyway, when I first saw it, I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen another movie do that. Basically, like, any found footage f- horror yeah. film, which I absolutely hate those. Because they never yeah. end good. Well, and if you make it seem too real, I don't like that. Really? I want I want to have some kind of f- tangible phoniness to it. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons I'm terrified of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because it's real. they set it up as if it were a real thing that happened. Like, with this, like, prelude warning at the beginning. Uh-huh. And then they show the movie, and then you go online and you research. And it's not something that actually happened, but it was based off of a real killer. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm, that's a little too real for me. Yeah. I don't like feeling that it's real. I like the phoniness. How do you feel about, um... Like, possession movies that are based off of true stories? Um, not really a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my family likes, my mom, not my mom, my dad and my sisters like horror movies more than my mom does, and they, my sisters really like the whole Amityville horror kind of thing, mm-hmm. to the point where they've seen the movies, my little sister read the book. I tried to read the book. It read like it was written by an eighth grader. Oh, goodness. So I couldn't really get through it, but that's also kind of a cop-out because I don't want anything to do with any of that. Yeah. See, when I was in middle school, I believe, I went through this really bad phase where I watched the... It was like something to do with Emily Rose, like the haunting or possession of whatever. Mm-hmm. That movie guard me (laughs) like I bought a crucifix to go in my room I wore a cross necklace like I was scared that like a demon was gonna come in my room grab my cross necklace and choke me with it yeah I can't do any of that but (laughs) there were a few things that we saw Mm -hmm. um let's start with the Freddy glove which I was so lucky to catch yeah you caught that this is your first time watching the movie, right? Yes. I've seen this two or three times. Never once noticed it. Mm, dab on him. <laughs> but, it, but yeah, Ash is down in the cellar. It was when he was trapped down there. Because mm-hmm, he was walking through the doorway. Right. And so by the doorway, 
is the glove with like the knife fingers. Uh-huh. And what were the dates on that? We looked So this it up. one came out in 87. Uh-huh. The the Evil Dead 2 came out in 87. And then Nightmare on Elm Street I believe was 84. Mhm. So and my thinking behind that is like Evil Dead 1 came out in 81. Mhm. And it was so, you know, impactful and it led to a lot of other you know, similar tropes, like it created tropes and stereotypes and all that. The sequel was kind of like Raimi's way of being like, well, I'm going to put in some nods to things that I like in other movies. Mm-hmm. Don't know if it's necessarily true, um, or if the glove was just like there on accident. There's no but way. There's no, yeah. I mean, that, it looked exactly like yeah. the glove. Yeah, it's got a... It was probably as purposeful as putting a farewell to arms on top of the uh, this chopped off hand. <laughs> and then uh, the curtain. So it was when he was looking for Henrietta down mm-hmm. in the basement. Ash was looking for her. Um, the curtain. That comes up in several, several Where it's just you can see the curtain and kind of like the pipes along the ceiling and there's a light bulb behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Just like a bare light bulb. That's... Yeah, everywhere. I mean, that was even an it. Last yeah, yeah, last night. And another one, like the shower curtain. Yeah. In Psycho. Yeah. Because yeah, I haven't seen that movie yet, unfortunately. <laughs> Meredith hates me. <laughs> she hasn't said that, but I I feel it. No, but yeah, we're I need to watch more movies. This that's what this thing is about. It's what it's, it's about. Why we're, why we're here. It's why we're here. And then um, we talked about horror film tropes how ash was an idiot yeah let's be real here and ended up guiding a whole group or convincing yeah it was really kind of you know blind luck and Mm -hmm. stupidity that really got him this far let's be real here or you know what better than that it was a man's confidence yeah because that's really what it was any man off the street would be like yeah, I I bet I could fight off a demon. Mansplain it. Yeah. Yeah. Phonetically. <laughs> Don't listen to this tape because it phonetically says how to summon a demon. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is how you do it. I think phonetically is my favorite word now. Also, another thing, it's it's more of a silly one. Yeah. So, if you haven't seen The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, you're wrong and you need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of young uh-huh. when it was on, but I definitely remember watching it. Oh, yeah. I used to come home school. from school every yeah. day and watch it. Yeah. Uh, but there's this character in there named Haas Delgado. Um, his whole purpose is that he hunts spectral beings basically and that's kind of what ash does and his character design is even like carbon copy of ash he's got the gun hand where instead of a hand it's a gun he probably (laughs) it's a gun (laughs) we can't say that too loud your neighbors are gonna oh my god (laughs) sorry it's not a gun (laughs) but he probably put it there himself and he's even got the same, like, strong chin yes. that Bruce Campbell has become so famous for. I'm surprised, honestly, that Ash didn't have an eye patch. 
Um, I feel like that would have made it too tacky, even for for what it was. I think it fits that Haas Delgado has one because that it's intentionally tacky. Yeah, and he's an idiot and a butthole. Yeah, Haas Delgado is playing off of Ash and magnifying those characteristics. Yeah, so it makes sense that he has an eye patch, Uh but Ash was kind of like one of the first drafts of that kind of character. So you didn't want to you don't want to make it too tacky too soon. You're right, you're right. And then there was the amount of blood <laughs> that was used in the second movie. It it's like a fountain exploded yeah. or a fire hydrant exploded. You you likened it to the shining. Yeah. Which is very accurate. Like when the elevator doors open and just the tidal wave of red Cairo syrup comes splashing down. That's that's the Evil Dead too, but so wait, was that really Cairo syrup? Um, I don't know about The Shining. Uh huh. Because that would have been so sticky. Oh yeah, but it's a base for a lot of co- cosmetic blood. That's true. Because I remember in theater we made fake blood and it was Cairo syrup. Yeah. And I don't know because. Viscosity is kind of an element because you don't. If it was just Cairo syrup, it wouldn't move as fast. Uh huh. So they probably had something in there that kind of made it flow easier. Like, um, in Evil Dead, it looked I. like water. Yeah, in Evil Dead, I just read this uh, a little while ago. It was Cairo syrup, non dairy creamer, and like the red coloring, which is kind of a weird mix of things. They probably trialed did trial and error to figure that one out, but... The non-dairy creamer confuses me, but it doesn't at the same time, because, like, if it curdled, I bet you there was some stuff in there that could have curdled that. Or, you know, it could have stank to high heaven. Well, and once I read that, it kind of made sense, because in the scene where Annie is trying to get... I think his name is Jake, out of the cellar. Henrietta's pulling Jake down. She's trying to pull him out. Cellar door opens, and it just splashes up on her, like... Yeah, like you said, like a fire hydrant. It's kind of milky looking. Like it's like kind of soup. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> Delicioso. <laughs> I'm never eating grilled cheese again. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, they're gross anyway. <laughs> oh, we can ignore that hot take <laughs> for the sake of being civil. <laughs> cheese just isn't my favorite, but that's besides the point. Besides the point. <laughs> Non-dairy creamer. But yeah, there was a lot of blood, a lot of black mystery goo Yeah, that we don't really know what its origin was. It just kind of spouted out of like the walls and stuff sometimes. Yeah. Because uh, I was about to say it could have been sap from trees. Yeah, but maybe, but I don't know about it's kind that. of like tar almost. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And it just would... And then green Drip. slime. Yeah, the green slime made an appearance once. It's like Nickelodeon up in that. <laughs> yeah, they were having a sale on. <laughs> oh yeah, cause the budget problems from the first movie. Yeah, so there were, but they had to break in filming because they ran out of money, and they would go and ask for money from friends and family and make cold calls to businesses, and. For the second movie, they had more of a budget. Mm-hmm. And 
my take on it is because they are so similar in quality of film, I would not be surprised if every cent of that extra budget got spent on blood of some kind. Non-dairy creamer. (laughs) I wonder how they made it. If they just like mixed it in buckets or something. They mixed it themselves. Because not all of the blood throughout the movie had the same consistency. That's right. Sometimes it was like a vibrant red. Like when it was oozing out of the walls, Uh it was a vibrant thick red. But then when it was being sprayed, it was that more (laughs) (laughs) creamer-y. Non-dairy creamer. No, yeah, you're totally right. And like even the blood on um, Ash's face... Which was uh, never in the same place, moving around throughout the whole movie, which I like to think is intentional, but there's no telling if it was or not. I would believe it if some, if like, Raimi came out and said it was intentional, I'd believe it. Let's make fun of the movie. Let's make fun of the movie. You want to start with some goofs? Okay. Okay. So, the suit. Henrietta's... Henrietta, who was w- Henrietta the demon, who was wonderfully played by Ted Raimi, <laughs> um, was in the, yeah, it was this kind of like disgusting suit. And as we were watching, I said, "Hey, what was that like around her butt?" Because she was spinning around in the air, <laughs> spinning those cheeks. <laughs> The so she, bloated cheeks. So she was spinning around, and I noticed that it looked kind of funny, like at the top of the back of her legs. Her legs. Ted Raimi's legs. Whoever. Um, and then as we were reading about the goofs, it said there was a tear in the suit. So you could kind of see where he was just kind of in there. That suit looked juicy. <laughs> I bet it smelled bad. Oh, there's, yeah, it had to have. Yeah. Yeah, First I know of all, they had, him, they had him sitting in the cellar for a majority of the movie. Probably got kind of musty. I know for a fact it did. I was a mascot at one Ooh. point in my life. I, I know for a fact it didn't smell great. <laughs> um, and then, uh, what, not Linda. Annie. Uh, Annie's bloody, actually non-bloody shorts. Yeah, so after the cellar door was opened and the fire hydrant of tomato soup Dairy, non-dairy creamer blood was just released everywhere. <laughs> She's obviously getting soaked. But then, she turns around. Camera's still on her, but all of a sudden, her clothes are, like, spotless clean. Which we didn't notice. We, yeah. Which <laughs> really shows how dumb the audience can be. Yeah. We're Cause, stupid. because yeah, we read that, we were like... What? What? Because <laughs> the green slime did that too. The green slime sprayed everywhere. Oh, yeah. And then a minute later, there was no green slime, and we didn't notice, and we didn't miss it. <laughs> didn't miss the green slime. Not at all. I wish we there was more green slime. I want it more. I think there needs to be less non-dairy creamer blood and more green slime. Yeah, I'm voting for it, that. Because it time. takes away from the the human aspect. Because when you, this is gonna be sad and terrible. When you cut into a human, it's gonna be red blood. So when you cut into these deadites, you don't want to think that there's a human side to them. Because then That's it's true. like you're killing somebody. 
So the green slime, black goo, makes more sense for them. But then again, when this red concoction is spraying out of the walls or the cellar, we don't really know where it's coming from. Because yeah, that's it, way too much blood for one human. Because when it first came out of the wall was after Ash shot his dead-eyed hand. Like, he shot the wall, mm-hmm. and it started oozing out, and then it just, like, unloaded. And then when it came out of the cellar was when Henrietta had Jake. So we don't really know whose non-dairy creamer is being spilled everywhere. <laughs> Maybe. Hear me out. Maybe the house is possessed. That would make sense. Because towards, kind of like at the beginning of the movie, Mm -hmm. the house was shown and there was this like projection over it of like the windows are eyes and the front porch, like the steps are like the teeth and the house is speaking to him, like warning him. Like, I don't know if it said we're going to get you or we'll eat your soul or whatever it said, but it was... The house was what was speaking to him. Where was I at? Because I don't remember that. <laughs> what the? <laughs> but then again, that also leads into this whole reference thing. Visible wires. Yeah. Of flying appendages. Yes, because he was dismembering Henrietta. Yeah, because that's what you have to do. Right. To the dead And the arms were flying every and all the parts. And I said, man, th- I I love that. I love the way it looks. Like, it's such a... I mean, it's kind of cliche and tacky, but it's kind of fun to see... It's almost cartoonish. Yeah. And it brings it back to, like, reality, but not... You know what yeah. I mean. And that's when Megan said, oh, I definitely just saw wires, <laughs> like, moving that arm. So we were uh, we were looking at all the times that it had visible wires, and surprisingly, sometimes some of them were fixed, like for digital re-releases. They oh, yeah. they masked them, hid them a little bit better, but obviously they didn't get all of them because we saw some on this version. How do you feel about editors yeah. taking like for like remasters of movies taking that stuff out? I think if you're a snob and you want everything to be perfect, yeah, take it out. But if you're like a true cinema fan and you like seeing the goofs and you like seeing like the raw version of the movie, like there's something special. This is gonna sound really geeky, really dorky. Oh, I'm ready. I'm for it. There's something special about watching a movie and seeing the wires for the first time. Cause if it, especially if it's a movie that you've seen before mm-hmm. and everybody's like, oh, you can, you can see that they did this here and there and you're like, well, I've never seen it before. And then all of a sudden you're watching and one day you just like magically see it and then you're like, I notice details in movies now. Yeah. So I kind of like when they keep it in mm-hmm. just because I like finding it. When you see a movie that hasn't been enhanced like that, and you think, wow, this is like a super high quality movie, and then you like focus, mm-hmm. and it's like, nah. It was just some people having a good time with a camera. Yeah. And that kind of like brings a connection to it too. It's kind of human. Like, 
If they can make a movie, if Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell can make a movie like this, like The Evil Dead, their first ever movie, and it's like that, that's the quality of it that everybody knows and everybody loves, like any aspiring filmmaker can jump in and do the same thing. Quality has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Like the quality of, I shouldn't say quality has nothing to do with it. Because there has to be a quality of... Being char- able to yeah, see Yeah, character and story has to be quality. But, I mean, just any old camera and whatever. Make, make a movie. Someone will like it. That's from Meredith. Go out there, make a movie. Yeah. Let's make a movie. Yeah. Where are we going to write about? I'll find something. Okay. I have a bunch of uh, short stories, short fiction stories. Oh, yeah, and we could we could do it, just a little short film. Okay, now I'm getting scared. I don't want to commit that hard yet. No, we don't have to. Okay. I mean, okay. but one of the reasons Sam Raimi chose horror as his first feature length movie was because it was pretty cheap. Which, thank goodness, because they barely had any money. <laughs> yeah, which we kind of talked about earlier. Yeah. But what were some like some of the setbacks? Like, they had to stop. Yeah, they had to stop and take a break and go and, you know, sort of fundraise. and And then on top of that, the cast and crew said that filming was miserable because it was cold and messy. Bruce Campbell had to ride home in the back of a pickup truck. He was soaked head to toe in blood. I mean, you would think they would have a hose. They could hose him down before they send him home. Well, they were out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. They might have not had plumbing, which is a scary thought. That's the scariest thing about this whole... (laughs) Plumbing? (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. And so that kind of, like, brings us to, like, background stuff that not everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. But how long did it take to film the entire first movie? A couple of years. Yeah. I think they started filming late 70s, mm-hmm. 78, 79. Um, but there was a break. It was, The break was either between 79 and 80 or 80 and 81. Because the movie was released in 81. But there was a break somewhere in there that they you know, kind of had to walk away for a considerable chunk. Which would explain some of the discrepancies um, of you know, makeup between scenes. They probably didn't shoot chronologically. Most most movies don't. Yeah. You know, that really... When I finally realized that they don't shoot chronologically, that, like, threw my world in a loop. Well, that's how... Like, with Avengers, that's how they avoid spoilers. Oh, yeah. They shoot sense. out of order, and they shoot extra scenes, and, like, extra endings, and they don't tell the cast which ones they're gonna use. Really? And that way... Because there are a lot of uh, a lot of the cast members in the Marvel franchise can't keep secrets. Tom Holland yeah. and Mark Ruffalo chronically spoil yeah. things. Who burned down the cabin? Yeah, so that was something that we both just learned about. How the cast and crew put a little time capsule, buried it underneath the <laughs> fireplace, but... Because people were vandalizing the property and everything. Nobody has clear directions on how to get to the cabin. And Sam Raimi... The cabin 
isn't there anymore. It got destroyed. It got burned down. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know who burned it down, but Sam Raimi claims he did it. That's what he said. That's what, yeah, that's what we've read. Which, imagine (laughs) the dedication. He's like, this is my, this is my masterpiece. I'm gonna burn it down. (laughs) He made his, he got his start from this cabin in the woods in Tennessee. And he said, nah, burn it down. I will destroy what I've created. (laughs) So the only thing that's still there is the fireplace. Which implies that the time capsule is still there, but nobody knows how to get to it. Because nobody knows where it is. And I mean, if it's a good enough time capsule, then it wouldn't have burned. Right. Well, and it's underground, isn't it? Oh, we said we weren't going to talk about the time capsule. I forgot. I apologize. It's okay. Nobody knows how to get there, so... Yeah, if don't you th- go. If you think you're going to beat us there, you're not. Yeah, don't go. There's there's uh, demons there. Yeah, Dikes. actually, I... I'm not superstitious, but I would not go into the Evil Dead Woods. I'm a little stitious. <laughs> but, so, uh, another thing that was super interesting and probably, like you said, helped... The advancement of the film was mm-hmm. that Stephen King was a fan. Yeah, it said that his his glowing review, his his you know positive thoughts about the movie, they made it like onto the cover of the tape. I think I think the tape, the copy that I have, has his words on it, and inside is a little like production booklet, uh-huh. like a production diary of everything. Oh, okay. I don't know why this didn't come up earlier. <laughs> if I had known, I would have brought the copy of the tape. Wow, Meredith, thanks a lot. When we come back for Army of Darkness, <laughs> I, I will have the tape. Oh, so that's official now. It, well, yeah, you can't we watch, have you to. You can't watch one and two without three. Especially with the way the second one ended leading into the third one. You can't just not watch Army of Darkness. But, yeah, so Stephen King's kind words about the movie is what you know, spread the word to so many people. Yeah. And it's, you know, hard to think that we would be here without it. Yeah. Not like alive, but here talking about it. No, I'd be dead. (laughs) I'd be dead. I wouldn't be. (laughs) So, overall, personally, I would rate it like four out of five. I, on the other hand, give it a four and a half. Oh. Because I give Evil Dead one five out of five. Okay. So that's like, because it's my favorite movie, so it has to be 5 out of 5. But the little half comes from it just being so similar to the first one. Yeah. And you're a super fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go, like, crazy. No, you're, like, respectfully a super fan. Yeah, I'm just going to overdo it on the research and... (laughs) (laughs) Write 15 pages about it. (laughs) I'm still impressed. casually, you know... Well, there's always more to say about the Evil Dead, but... I know, we've already been here, like, at least an hour, which is insane. (laughs) Good luck editing all of that. Oh, you're staying here while I'm editing. (laughs) (laughs) If you want, if you want. Okay, cool, cool. So, that's it. That's it. Groovy. Groovy. Y'all have a good weekend. Wait, why did I say weekend? Until next time. Until next time. Bye, guys. It's groovy. Groovy. Really?